Father, we pray for the blessings upon those here. We also pray for blessings upon those watching. Also pray, Yahweh, that you would be with those not here today. We know there are many sick and uh, could not be here today. So we pray that you would also be with them and, and help them recover so they can be here next week and praise you and uh, join, join the uh, fellowship. And we thank you and we give you all praise in the name of your son, Yahshua the Messiah. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. And I do apologize. I'm, uh, too, dealing with my own struggles today. I've uh, got sick Sunday, and you would think by now that sickness would be uh, no more, but that sickness is still there. So, so anyway, I do apologize for the voice. Today I want to talk about a witnessing. You know, a few months ago I was asked by somebody to uh, speak on this and ask, um, how, how do we witness effectively? How do we do that effectively? So today I want to talk about some of the methods we can use, some of the techniques we can use to witness Yahweh's word with. Over my 20-plus years in the ministry, I've learned a few things about sharing Yahweh's word, what works, what doesn't work, different approaches. You know, some of uh, what I've seen has been good. I've seen some good techniques. A lot of what I've seen has been not so good. I'm sure you've all heard the expression, we may be the only Bible some people ever read. Well, in many cases, I believe this is true. And for that reason, it's important that we provide a good witness a successful witness, an effective witness when we share the truth. You know, it's important that we provide a positive, positive witness when it comes to Yahweh's word. Now that said, for many of us, the truth is, I think, we sometimes fall miserably short. You know, I would say the biggest uh, problem I see is being overzealous, being overzealous, and as a result, in some cases, overbearing. And I don't believe that's the best way to witness. In some cases, this can do more harm than good. So as a believer, again, how can we witness effectively? What are some of the things we can do to share Yahweh's truth in a way where we'll bring people in and not discourage when we share the truth with them? Well, here's a few of the methods, or here's the methods we're going to review in this message. Nope. The, uh... Okay. So first one here is find common ground. I'm a big believer in this. As Yahweh's people, we need to find something in common with those we're sharing the truth with. Number one, show kindness, not hate. You know, so often we go on the tack and, um, instead of showing kindness. Uh, avoid overload, information overload. We'll talk a lot about that. Be an example. It's probably, probably the most important thing we can do as believers, just be an example. You know, people see us. They see what we're doing. Learn to walk away. You know, sometimes it's not the right time, it's not the right person, it's not the right situation. Sometimes we need to walk away. Pray for them. You know, prayer is always appropriate, as we'll talk about. And the last one here is very important, is be patient, wait on Yahweh. You know, I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had someone say, why can't they see it? Why can't they understand? You know, I see it. The Bible's so clear. You know, these things are just, and they can't see it. They just refuse to see it. Or sometimes, as we'll talk about, Yahweh has to open their eyes. Now, I want to begin with the first one here, and that is finding common ground. So what do I mean when I say find common ground? Well, you know, I believe we're more effective when we find things in common. Instead of differences, we focus on those things we have in common. Let me give you a scenario. Let's say we're witnessing to a believer who's a Sunday keeper. Now, we could begin explaining and chastising the person why Sunday's not the day to worship on. That's one approach. Or we can try a different approach, and that is to find something in common. 
So let me, um, let me give you an example of what I normally do. I, I say something like, just like you, I believe in the Messiah. Just like you, I believe that we're uh, justified freely from his blood and that this atonement or this justification is a gift. Now, by saying this, we do two things. Number one, we take away the assumption that we are justified by works. You know, most people, what do they assume when they know that we keep the commandments? When we keep things like the Sabbath and the feast days, they assume that we're legalists, that we're trying to earn our salvation. And the truth is, nobody can earn salvation. You can't earn justification. You can't earn the redemption that we've received through the blood of our Savior. This is a free gift. It is not of debt, Scripture says. So that's something important. It diffuses that assumption. Number two, we build a common rapport with the person we're witnessing with. You see, they and we, we all agree that we both believe in the Messiah. We both believe that he shed his blood for our sins and that we both agree that we are justified freely through that blood apart from works. So that's what I mean, finding common ground. You know, building this type of relationship from the beginning is an important first step in sharing Yahweh's truth. Don't go on the attack. Don't Don't focus on the differences. Doing this builds of a poor and a bond between us and the person we're sharing the truth with. Now, saying that, what's often seen from those in the faith, or most often what I see oftentimes is attack first. And, and some of us, we're just ruthless with this. I mean, we go for the juggler. We, we, we go for the worst possible thing we can uh, do to show how wrong they are. But from our perspective, that's not really the, that's not the direction we should be taking. You know, we don't want to build a wall, not between us and the person. We want to show what we have in common. Then we want to share the truth with them. You know, one of the greatest evangelists of, the, of Scripture that I see is the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy, he was really, really um, talented with sharing the truth. And I want to share some examples from this man. Uh, in fact... Paul is possibly, I believe, the best example of what it means to witness successfully. Think about it. I mean, just think about the situation Paul was in. The other apostles, for the most part, were sent to the Jews. So they understood the word. They, they had the Old Testament, and they understood the Sabbath and feast days and the clean foods and everything that we find in the Old Testament. But Paul, he was, going, he was sent to the Gentiles. I mean, these people knew nothing. I've uh, known ministers from uh, India, for instance, and uh, so they witness to Buddhists. And they'll say these Buddhists, they don't even know what the Bible is. So they begin talking about the seventh day week. And they draw a connection to the seventh day week and what we find in scripture because that comes from scripture. So again, the, this, this was Paul's situation. He had, his, his audience knew nothing. And yet, Paul was very successful. We see an example of this in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. Paul says, but Though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. That's simply a euphemism, by the way, for the, for the Jews. That's all a saying. That's all a saying, the, the Jews. Basically, we're under the law. To them that were without law as without law. So, to those Gentiles is what he's referring to. Being not without law to Elohim, but under the law to Messiah, 
that I might gain them that are without law to the weak, became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now, what, was, uh, what did Paul mean here when he said, I am made all things to all men? Well, what he's saying is simply this. He found things in common with those he shared the truth with. Now, I want to dispel a, a common notion, and that is Paul is not here saying that he threw out the law to witness. He was not. He did not abandon the law when he went to the Gentiles. Many people believe that, that it says here, those without law. Or all the, it's a euphemism for those, for, for the Gentiles. It's not referring to Paul abandoning, Paul leaving, Paul forsaking Yahweh's word. Again, he simply found all things, those things that he could relate to, that, that he had in common. You know, in many ways, he showed himself as a master diplomat. And, and the reason I say that is he was able to find common interests without compromising truth. And that's a really hard thing to do to find things you have in common with some people and not compromise your own moral convictions. And I believe Paul was able to do that. Paul was able to, to, to convey the message, to convey the good news in a way that the audience understood, but in a way that did not require that he compromise what he understood as truth. You know, for me, there's no mystery as to why Yahshua called this man as an apostle. He was uniquely qualified for this role. He had many strengths. He was well-educated. We know that. Matter of fact, out of all the apostles, he was probably the most well-educated. He was fervent in faith. You know, he was a firecracker. Nothing would stop this man when witnessing the truth. He was um, enthusiastic. He had initiative. He had drive. He was patient. He had high energy. But again, as, as we've talked about, he was also very diplomatic. We see an example of this diplomacy in Acts 17. Acts 17. And it says there, and they took him and brought him unto the Eropicus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, that these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown mighty one, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Elohim that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is master of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither in worshiped, with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath in all things. So we find here Paul going to the men of Athens, going to this Mars Hill. Now, what is this Mars Hill that we find here? I want to talk a little bit about this. This is a prominent rock that is located within Athens, Greece. For the ancient Greece, this area functioned as a court and also for matters of uh, religious debate and dispute. And as we see in this passage, this location also had altars to different gods or different mighty ones. Keep in mind that the uh, ancient Greeks, of course the Romans were the same way, they were polytheists. Matter of fact, most, most religions, and this is something a little bit strange for us in this culture, 
But most religions throughout antiquity were polytheistic. It was actually very um, rare to find a monotheistic faith. Some say that during Akhenaten, during his time in Egypt, that that was monotheistic, but there's some debate there. Um, you know, of course, uh, Islam is monotheistic, but Islam came much later. As far as the ancient world goes, most religions were polytheistic. They worshipped many different mighty ones, and that's what we see here. We have these altars scattered on Mars Hill. Now, uh, Rome, actually, they came along and they renamed this area. They, they renamed this area. It was the, uh, to uh, Mars Hill. And uh, Mars, this is a reference to the uh, Roman god of war. So that's what it refers to, Mars Hill, or, or the uh, hill belonging to that uh, deity. Now, how did Paul respond to these men of Athens? How did he respond to these men when asked about what he believed? Or he looked out and he saw an altar that was inscribed to the unknown mighty one. And Paul made a connection with this altar, with Yahweh, with the worship of Yahweh, who he was. He explained that Yahweh was the one who made the heavens and the earth. You see, he started with the beginning, just maybe just the same way we would have to do with the Buddhists today. He began with the beginning, that Yahweh was the one who created the heavens and the earth, and that he was responsible for all life. By saying this, by, by can, making this connection to this unknown mighty one, to this altar setting there, he was able to evangelize the truth of Yahweh's word. And that's really what I want, what I want to point out here. You know, he could have done this a hundred different ways, but he chose to look out, and he found this opportunity, and he used this pagan altar, and made a connection with it and Yahweh and said, listen, let me tell you about that one over there. Let me explain the one I worship. Let me explain this one that you're worshiping. You don't know this one, so let me explain that one to you. Now, there's one more point I want to bring, bring out here. In this passage, Paul tells the Athenians, he says, you are too superstitious. You are too superstitious. Now, that sounds negative, doesn't it? That sounds a bit negative, superstitious. Or in the uh, Strong's Greek Dictionary, it actually defines this phrase as more religious than others. So that's what Paul was saying. Paul, this is not a criticism. Paul was not saying, you're superstitious. No, Paul's saying you're very religious, that you're very devoted, that, that you have faith and devotion in what you do. You know, so we see here Paul using flattery when speaking to these men of Athens. You know, for a moment, for a moment, I want you to put yourself in Paul's place. So pretend that you're on Mars Hill. You're being approached by these men of Athens. And as you look around, you see these pagan altars. And you're seeing names of different deities and then, like Paul, you too notice that there is an inscription there to an unknown mighty one. How would you have approached the situation? How would you have approached the situation? You know, from what I've seen over the years, I can tell you, I think, how many of you would have approached it. In lieu of flattery or diplomacy or finding common ground, you would have rebuked and chastised every man on Mars Hill. 
And by so doing, you would have alienated the audience. And they would have never had an opportunity to hear the good news. I think that's how most of us would have done it. We would have taken the biggest two-by-four we could have found, and we would have hit them over the head as hard as, as hard as we could have in hopes that they would respond. But that's not what we find here from Paul. Paul complimented these people. He complimented their faith. He complimented their religion, their devotion. And then he used their own pagan altar as an opportunity to share the good news. So that is finding common ground. That is using diplomacy. Now, another positive way to witness the word is to show kindness, not hate. This is a big one. It really is. I, I can't tell you how many, um, how many instances I've seen this neglected. You know, I believe that this is one of the worst offenses I see on social media today, especially on Facebook. I, I don't know what it is about Facebook. The fact is what many are willing to uh, say or post on Facebook, they would never say in person. Have you noticed that? Have you seen examples like that? I know Lucas... He's our media guy, so he's seeing examples like that. But they'll be on Facebook, and they just they, they, they chastise these people. They reprimand these people. I mean, they're just vicious. And yet we would never say those words in public. And, you know, my rule of thumb is real simple. My rule of thumb is if we would not say it in public, if we would not tell the person what we would post, we should not be posting that. And that should be the rule of thumb. We should not post what we are unwilling to say. You know, going back to the previous example with Paul and Morris Hill, you know, Paul could have, again, been hateful. He could have been mean to the men of Athens. But again, he chose diplomacy. He, show, he chose compassion. He chose kindness, even a little bit of flattery. You know, when sharing Yahweh's word, I would encourage us also to show diplomacy, kindness. And this includes, you know, whether, again, we're in person or in social media because I really do think we alienate a lot of people on social media. I think if it was done better, if it was done right, that maybe more would consider our message. Beating somebody up is not going to win souls. It's simply not going to do it. So here's what Solomon says in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs says, A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. So we see a contrast. One is, you know, anger produces strife, conflict, and of course, slow to anger reduces that same strife or conflict. Now, which approach do you believe is more effective when witnessing the truth? You know, most of us would agree that using patience, that being slow to anger, is going to be a better approach when witnessing our Father's Word. But what do we normally see? Especially on social media, we see the opposite. We don't see this. You know, one of the things to keep in mind when witnessing is, is, is this. It, it should not be personal. I think that's a challenge for many of us because the faith means something to us, and it should mean something to us. It really defines who we are in many ways. So when somebody rejects the message, it's almost as if they're rejecting us, right? But that's not the way we should, we, we should view it. When somebody is rejecting us, they're not rejecting us, or rejecting the message, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting the message. So we should never take it personal. We should never believe that this is something focused on us. It's not about us. It's about the message. 
So when we're witnessing Yahweh's word and they disagree, they're not disagreeing with us. It's not with us. They're disagreeing with the message, and that's fine. You know, Yahweh even says it's fine. Yahweh says, told Israel, I've set before your life and death. You know, you choose. He's not going to force anybody, and, and neither should we for that matter. So if they disagree with that, we're not to be disgruntled. We're to simply move on. But you know what happens in many cases with this if, if they attack? Um, we use aggression to simply win the argument, to show they're wrong and, and oftentimes to humiliate them as a person. And, and again, we're not going to win souls doing that. So when we share Yahweh's truth, especially in social media, we should do so in a positive way. Now, a big mistake when uh, witnessing Yahweh's word is that is what I call an information overload. As believers, you know, we need to be cognizant of how much information we're sharing at any given time. And I like this phrase, baby steps. I've talked to a lot of people over the years, and I like the phrase baby steps because it really does a good job illustrating how we should be witnessing. You know, when we meet someone interested in the faith, we have the propensity to literally dump everything on them at one time. The Sabbath, the feast days, the name, the kosher foods, and then we'll throw in why they should not be doing Christmas and Easter and Halloween and worshiping on Sunday and why the name or the titles they're using are wrong. And I could go on and on and on. And many of us, we do that. But baby steps. You know, the human mind is only capable of absorbing so much without being overwhelmed. You know, maybe begin with Yahweh's name or the Sabbath and, and let that sink in. Let them consider that truth and let them come back to you. You know, even Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 12 understood this concept. He says there in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 12, says, Further, by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study, he says, is a weirdness, is a weirdness of the flesh. So Solomon says here that it's tiresome to the flesh when we study too much. You know, I believe that this same principle also applies to sharing Yahweh's truth, witnessing the word. If we again share too much and cause information overload, we may push them away from the faith. We may defeat the very purpose we're trying to accomplish. Again, for most, the human mind is only able to absorb so much. If we go beyond that threshold, we may be doing more good or more bad than good, more harm than good. And again, from what I've seen over the years, many of us are guilty of doing this. I mean, we just, <coughs> you know, we're, we're so, you know, we're so um, zealous. We're so zealous in wanting that person to understand because it means so much to us, that truth, that knowledge, that practice, that faith. And yet, they can't absorb that. They simply cannot absorb that knowledge. So again, we need to keep that in mind. We need to realize that even though it, if it's coming from a good place, even though our intentions may be pure, that we need to be cognizant of how much information we share at any given time. So we should share Yahweh's truth, but we should do, do so in moderation. 
You know, in this case, instead of, again, dumping everything in one setting, share one or two things, and, again, give them time to reflect upon that truth. You know, we actually see an example of this in, in, in the New Testament. In Acts 15, 19 through 21 says, Therefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to Elohim, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Let me give you some history before we delve into this passage here. In this passage, we find that the apostles and the elders were coming together to discuss a key issue. Before this point, most of the converts were, were Jewish. They were Israelite converts. And now we're seeing Gentiles come into the fold. And the question is, do they need to be physically circumcised? Do they need to be physically circumcised to be a believer in the Messiah? And as we know, based on the discussion here, the answer was no. They, they don't need to be physically there, There's nothing wrong with it. You know, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. It doesn't matter in that way. And as a matter of fact, the only thing that really does matter that we find scripturally is baptism in Yahshua's name. We see that in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 11, or Colossians, I should say, uh, Colossians 2, 11 through 13. And uh, there we see a parallel between a circumcision and baptism in Yahshua's name. So that's one reason why we require that uh, participants in the Passover's must be immersed in Yahshua's name because of that reason. Well, let's get back to the passage here. We find the Gentiles were told to abstain from four things. Those were pollutions of idols, fornication, things that strangled, and from blood. Now, as we understand it, all of these items had something to do with their pagan worship. So Yahweh here, through the apostles, of course, they begin by removing what? They begin by removing false worship. That's where they begin. Now, many believe that this was all that the Gentiles were required to do, these four things. But notice here, notice here what it says. In verse 20, I'm going to read that one more time. It says, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So what we find here is this. The apostles began by removing the false worship. So they began with this realizing and knowing that they would hear the word every Sabbath and that they would grow and learn every Sabbath. So instead of dumping everything at one time, they could have, they could have given them a list. Think, they, they, could have, they could have generated a, a list of 100 things right off the bat. You've got to do every single one of these things if you're going to be accepted into this body. But no, they, they didn't do that. What they did is they said, you start with these four things, Start with these few things. Stop doing this. And you're going to learn then every Sabbath when you hear the law of Moses. You're going to understand. You're going to grow. You're going to come to a, a fuller knowledge of the word. And as believers, we need to keep this lesson in mind when sharing Yahweh's truth and be sensible, again, with the amount of information we provide because, you know, uh, the examples I've seen are um, overwhelming, are overwhelming. Now, one of the most effective and easiest ways of sharing the truth is simply to be an example. You know, we see, we see Yahshua speaking about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 15. It says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but under a candlestick, 
and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, Yahshua says here, as believers, we should allow our light to shine. We should put our, should put our candle where men can see that light shine. Now, this doesn't mean that we're to be a bully with the truth, that we're to be aggressive with the truth. No, we're to allow it to shine. In other words, we're to set an example by our behavior. That is one of the best ways we witness the truth. We set an example by our behavior. You know, those who work with me, they know I'm a Sabbath keeper. They know I observe the feet. Matter of fact, years ago, before when I left conservation to come here full-time, they uh, threw me a going-away party, and um, I didn't ask for anything, but they brought in a big cake, had a big church there with a nice steeple on it. <laughs> but the, 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 it's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. But they knew, based on what I did and based on just who I was, that religion was important to me. And uh, so it really is important that we set an example as believers and that we show that we're different, that our faith is not something secondary, that our faith is primary, that everything we do in this life is centered around my faith. And that is what we should be showing. That is what we should be communicating, not only here, but that, that is also what we should be communicating outside in the world. We should be communicating that message at work. We should be communicating that message with friends. We should be communicating that, me that, that, that message with family. And we certainly should be communicating that message here. You know, the fact is most people become more convicted, not from what we say, but from what we do. That is the very best method. If, if we say something, and yet they see the hypocrisy, they see that we do not live that message, they are not going to accept it. If our actions don't align with our words, then in many cases our witness will be ineffective. So we need to be especially aware of how we behave, how we, how we um, interact, how we speak to one another. You know, we need to make sure that we're setting an example that Yahshua himself would be proud of. And that's a really hard thing to do. You know, consider your weekly walk. Consider your daily routine. Consider how you, how you interact with your coworkers. And ask, does my behavior reflect my Savior? It should. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 says that we're to follow in Yahshua's examples. We're to live as he lived. We're to behave as he behaved. We're to worship as he worshiped. Everything he did, we're to, we're to mimic. We're to assimilate within our own life. So how did Yahshua conduct himself during his ministry? Well, Scripture says that he had no guile. He had no sin. We also see that he was kind, compassionate, giving, always willing to share the truth, including sinners, including with sinners. You know, as his disciples were to do the same. As we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, the same principle also applies to those believers with unbelieving spouses. I want to share this with you because this really is a, is a great testimony. Testimony. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Likewise, you wives... 
be in subjection to your own husband. So we see the family order. The man is ahead of the uh, family unit, unit. Even when you're married to an unbelieving spouse, Goes on to say that if any obey not the word, they also may be uh, may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So, what does Peter mean, uh, mean here when he says conversation? Where this word comes from the Greek anastrophe, and it refers to behavior. Paul's or Paul Peter is saying here that an unbelieving wife can win over her unbelieving husband by her behavior, by what they do, by how she responds, by showing fruits, by showing righteousness, by showing love, by showing compassion. The Thayer's um, Greek lexicon defines this word as manner of life, conduct, behavior, deportment. And I believe this same method can also be used for a... Thank you. For a believing husband with an unbelieving wife. I mean, the situation's a little bit different. The um, scenario is different. The uh, dynamics are different. But I think the same principle applies. You know, through his example and behavior, he can win over his unbelieving wife through his behavior, through his character, by what he does. Now, saying that, as many of you know, no matter what example we set, sometimes this is not meant to be. So that's something else we need to consider and realize that um, sometimes our spouse will never see the faith, will never see the good news, not as we see it. Yahshua said that he came not to bring peace but a sword. And we know that family division sometimes is simply part of it. But sometimes Yahweh does. But regardless of what the plan is, regardless of what happens, as believers we need to always set the example. We need to set the example by what we do, by our behavior, by our manner of life. Now, another lesson to keep in mind when witnessing is this. We need to learn when to walk away. We need to learn when to walk away. Or maybe we need to learn when to avoid the debate. Sometimes we get into debates we probably should not be in. This is especially true on social media. Not only are many people overly aggressive on social media, they are also overly argumentative. They will sit there and argue and argue and argue and argue and argue. And they will argue about anything. You know, for me, I refuse to argue with people on social media. Of course, I won't do it over the phone. I had a really, um, I don't know, I I thought it was um, a positive way. Normally when somebody would call, generally within about two or three minutes, you knew... You could see whether they're calling just to argue with you. And, and I would say something like, you know, I can tell you're very convicted in what you believe. I am too. And um, I, don't, I don't see the benefit of continuing this debate. But you have a great day, and may Yahweh bless you. Because I'm not going to argue with someone. I'm not going to argue if they are simply there to pick a fight, to debate, if they're not open-minded. You know, my time is, is too valuable to waste with those simply looking for schism. And I believe Yahshua speaks to this in uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. A little bit of humor there with that picture. It says, uh, 
Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast you your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now, what does Joshua mean, cast your pearls before a swine? I kind of liked it. Barnes Notes. You know, Barnes Notes isn't perfect, but I like Barnes Notes. A lot of good comments in there. And here's what he says. He says, swine, denote those who would trample the precepts underfoot. People of impurity of life, those who are corrupt, polluted, profane, obscene, and sensual. Those who would not know the value of the gospel or good news. And one who would tread it down as swine without pearl or wood pearls. You know, there are many people out there who have no concern for the truth. Or for that matter, they have no concern for anything moral. You know, I'm sure you know people like that. They just have absolutely no concern for anything biblical. There are many people that just are without this, this, this conscience. You know, if we know if someone is going to profane or, or criticize the word, if we share it with them, we're to avoid. We're to avoid it. We're not to share that truth with them. And that's what I think Yahshua is saying here, that if we see somebody that we know will never accept it, that they're going to criticize it, that they're going to rebuke it, Joshua says here, don't share it. You know, in many ways, this reminds me of the situation the Jews found themselves in during the Babylonian captivity. You know, some say it was during this time when the Jews stopped using Yahweh's name. I believe it probably was historically that it was uh, this uh, experience that, that led to this superstition of the Jews not pronouncing or using Yahweh's name. You see, they were afraid of the Babylonians blaspheming the name. And that makes sense if you think about it. Here they are in a pagan land. I mean, this is the Babylonians. There are nobody more pagan than the Babylonians. And they were afraid of people criticizing or mocking or blaspheming Yahweh's name. So as a result, this superstition for many Jews arose, and that was not to use Yahweh's name. So instead of using Yahweh's name, they used the uh, vowel points from Adonai, sometimes Elohim, and they put those with the four letters of Yahweh's name, the Tetragrammaton, which then they would render Adonai, or in some cases, again, Elohim, depending on the vowel point. You know, I understand the reason the Jews did this, but we know in this case, this, this isn't a great example because Scripture does say that we're to call upon the name, that we're to praise the name. So we're to use the name, but I understand the reason they did this. And maybe for the time being, maybe it had merit. Maybe there was some benefit there not sharing it with these pagan Babylonians. But the problem is this long-term superstition arose because of it. Now, another tip to, uh, I think, evangelism is, is uh, prayer. You know, prayer is always appropriate. I want to read, we actually read this in the uh, evangel reading. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You know, Yahshua commands here that we're to pray for enemies. You know, if we're to pray for enemies, how much more should we pray? Think about this. How much more should we pray when witnessing Yahweh's truth? Prayer is always appropriate. We should always pray and prepare by this method. You know, the prayer doesn't need to be complicated. Sometimes people, they, they overthink things. We do that a lot as human beings. We don't need to overthink things. Yahweh's, you know... For the most part, Yahweh is pretty simple, and um, I believe that he wrote his truth even, even for, you know, that a child can understand, and 
And um, I think we, we need to only be sincere when we pray. We need to be sincere when we go to Yahweh. But again, I believe it's important that we pray when we are evangelizing his words. I think it's important that we pray that Yahweh give us the right words to speak and that also that he would give them a heart that would be receptive to the message because he can certainly do that. Now, the last thing I want to speak on is being patient and waiting for Yahweh when we evangelize. This is something, again, very hard for many of us to do because, for one, we have family members that aren't in the faith that we want so desperately for them to understand, so desperately for them to accept it. And uh, sometimes it's meant to be, sometimes it's not meant to be. But whether it is or isn't, we must wait on Yahweh. You know, Scripture shows that it's Yahweh who opens the eyes and opens the ears. We can't do this. And that's, yeah, I don't know how many times over the years I've had people call me or I've talked to people even in person, and um, they, they say, you know, why can't they see it? Why can't they understand? You know, Scripture is so clear he has a name. It's so clear when they were worshiping. They were worshiping on the set. Why can't they see it? And I believe that it is not our place to determine who sees or who understands or who accepts. This is Yahweh's domain. All we can simply do is share the truth and then let the chips fall where they may. You know, we actually see somewhat of an illusion or an example to this in Matthew 13. This is speaking about parables. Matthew 13, 10 through 13 says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? So he's explaining now why he spoke in parables. You know, many people don't realize that there was a reason Yahshua spoke in parables. It wasn't, it wasn't just a nicety. It wasn't something Yahshua did just to do. There was a reason and purpose behind Yahshua speaking in parables. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You see, they, it was given. You see, they, they were being called, in other words. But to them it is not. For whosoever hath to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath not. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So, as we see here, the disciples ask Yahshua why he spoke in parables. What, what, what was the reason for this method? Where he explains here that he spoke in parables because it was not meant for some to know or understand the truth. You know, in some ways, I view parables a little bit, little bit like Morse code. You know, if we are going to understand Morse code, we need to, under, we need to be able to de- decipher Morse code. Or same thing with the parables. If we were going to understand the truth, we would have to be able to decipher the parable. And the only way for that to happen is that Yahweh had to be calling us. He had to be actively working with us so that we would understand, hear, and then respond based on the message of the parable. So again, much like Morris Code, same concept. They had to decode, understand, and respond. With this in mind, we see another lesson here, and that is not everyone is called. And that's really hard for some people to accept. The fact that, again, we have family, we have friends, we have others we love and care about. And we know how much the truth means, right? We know and we understand the gravity of the word. 
and yet they simply cannot see it. They can't see it. But we need to keep in mind that not everybody is called at this time. You know, we also see another truth in Scripture, and that is I believe we can understand something academically but not spiritually. And let me give you an example of that. Let me give you an example. Where many Bible believers, they know Yahweh's name. They know Yahweh's name. I would say the vast majority in the church, they know that the one they worship has a name. And most know that that name is Yahweh. So they understand something academically, but they don't see why it's important to use. So they don't understand it spiritually. You see, I believe that Yahweh has to open our eyes in a way where we understand it spiritually. Understanding something simply academic is not enough. We must see the spiritual relevance, significance behind that truth. So again, this is just an important concept to keep in mind. Because again, I know many people, they become discouraged. Um, Why those loved ones can't see it. But sometimes we need to realize that Yahweh is in control. Yahweh has reasons. We don't know there's reasons. And we may never know those reasons, but Yahweh is in control. And he is the one, as we see, I want to read at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. He's the one who will bring forth the increase. So 1 Corinthians uh, 3, it says there, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the master gave to every man. Now listen to this. Paul says, I have planted, Apollos watered, But Elohim gave the increase. So then neither is he that plants anything, neither he that waters, but Elohim that gives the increase. Now even though Paul planted and Apollos watered, we see here who the emphasis was on. We see here that Elohim is the one, Yahweh is the one who gave the increase. You know, as believers, including those of us who minister in the word, all we can do is simply share the word. We can evangelize, we can print booklets, we can speak, we can, whatever it is, whatever method, whatever technique, we, we can share the word. But we need, to make, we need to remember that Yahweh is the one who opens up the, 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 the eyes and the ears of man. You know, Paul in Galatians 4 verse 8 says, but now... After that you have known Elohim, or rather are known of Elohim. What Paul's saying there is that Yahweh is the one who initiates the calling, not us. Does that make sense? Yahweh is the one who calls us, not us. And Yahweh must first call before we will answer. So the lesson here is that we can share Yahweh's truth, and we should. But we need to always remember and keep in mind that he is the one who will provide the increase that he is the one that, who calls, that he is the one who opens up the eyes, not us. There's nothing we can do. Paul said that he who plants is nothing. He who waters is nothing. The only one who really matters is Yahweh who gives the increase. I want to summarize now the methods we've looked at today. So method number one is find common ground. I found a great example from the Apostle Paul with that. Show kindness, not hate. I just want to remind everybody on that one there, especially on social media. Let's try to make sure that our witness is positive, that we're not, to simply, we're not there to simply win a debate. You know, a lot of people are competitive out there. 
And sometimes we bring that competitive nature when we witness. And we're going to win. And we're going to win at all costs. And I can tell you that is not a good witness. Avoid overload. You know, we've all done it. I've done it. We want everybody to understand and share the good news, share the message we, we um, realize and we've been blessed with. But again, baby steps. Next one here, be an example. We're going to win more souls being an example than anything we will ever say, I believe. By our behavior, by our conduct, by what we do. Learn to walk away. Sometimes we need to realize that there's nothing we can do. And the only thing we can do is let it, let it be. Pray for them. Pray is always appropriate. And the last one here is be patient. Wait for Yahweh. Give him an opportunity to work. You know, as disciples of the Messiah, I believe we all have the responsibility to share the truth, to evangelize, to be a good witness. Again, Yahshua said that we were let our, let, to let our light shine, to be a beacon for Yahweh's word. Well, I pray that this message has been a blessing, and I pray that we will strive to help others understand the truth in a way that is effective, in a way that is honoring to Yahweh, in a way that does not build walls, but a way that brings people together, that finds common things, and that is a blessing for those who hear the word. May Yahweh bless you.